Hello, Gregoire. Hello, Edgar. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. So, Gregoire, what are we talking about today? Today, I suggested that we talked about an article I am working on on uh, naked zoos and how they can be useful to teenagers. Naked zoo, can you expand a little bit about that word? Nikitsus are a specific kind of Japanese comics that is specifically designed to target teenagers. So this sounds like an interesting subject today. I wonder if we'll be covered in one podcast or do you think we have material for another podcast? I think we could use two podcasts to talk about it. Okay, so let's start right now with the first part of this podcast. We are looking forward to reading your comments and questions. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook and SoundCloud under Discussions on Psychoanalysis. Or directly through the email discussionsonpsychoanalysis at pm.me. The links will be in the podcast descriptions. My name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. Before you tell us about your ideas on Naketsu, let's start with a very simple question. What are Naketsu? That's a very important question because it is actually not so clear for many people. So let's start with not exactly what the Naketsu is, but something more general. In America, you have comics with Captain America, Spider-Man, Superman, characters like that. Mm -hmm. So in Japan, you will have what we call manga. And that's really the general term for comics. Mm -hmm. Among manga, you have manga that are directed towards women, towards men in general. And then among those categories, you have a manga directed towards people of different ages. And so you have specific manga that are directed towards teenagers. Those are called shonen. And among the shonen, you find neketsus. And neketsus, or neketsu, are a specific kind of shonen that are usually the most well-known of all. For example, you have Dragon Ball, you have Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, which probably doesn't mean anything to most of our audience, but some of them might have teenager kids or have had teenagers at home who talked about it. And those neketsus, what I found very interesting is that they follow codes. Mm -hmm. And in that way, they become something that can be studied in a systematic way. I think each of them can be studied specifically, but that would require way too much work and too much time. And so what I came up with in the article I'm working on is that those codes will actually be very meaningful to the teenagers, and that is why Neketsu's have so much success. Can you clarify for me and the audience um, a couple of things? One, are these stories, meaning they unfold throughout a period of time, or are these very short acts? So they are very, very long stories. 
How long? For instance, Dragon Ball was first released in 1984 to 1995, so 11 years. Actually, got restarted a few years ago. And Naluto was published from 1999 until 2014, so 15 years. Those are very long stories. Yes. And and they are published uh, on a weekly basis or monthly? Yeah, they, so or? they publish it on a weekly basis in a newspaper called Shonen Jump, which is uh, actually very low-quality paper. And then maybe on a monthly basis or something that, or, uh, along those lines, they republish it on very clean paper, which is what people from outside Japan usually see. The other thing that I think would like to hear more from you is uh, what do you mean by code? Well, there are a series of elements, I would say, that are reappearing all the time in uh, Naked Suits. Those can be listed, and we, I think we'll go back to it for in the next sections. So you have some rules, like the story has to have a certain problematics. For instance, the hero is always an orphan, or at least has only one parent. Like, um, the hero is going to fight an antagonist who will have a goal that will be opposite to his. Things like that. And that you find in every Neketsu, but expressed in a different way every time. So we're talking about elements of the story, something similar to fairy tales. Yeah, and actually that's where the idea of the article I'm working on came from is that uh, years ago I was able to read the, the book from Bedolheim on fairy tales. In English it is called The Uses of Enchantment and in French it would be called uh, Psychoanalysis of Fairy Tales, which I think is uh, a more appropriate, a more appropriate <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> anyway, so from Bruno Bedolheim, written in uh, 1976, I found that book very interesting in terms of how to make sense of the weird within the fairy tales, but also how to make sense of it based on the idea that if it is still used today, it is because it speaks to something of us, something that is still activated in humans, something that is still activated in our societies. And I found, reading Nikitsu, that actually something alike was happening. And so that's how I decided to work on an article to try to articulate how those codes were working the same way somehow codes are working in fairy tales. And my hypothesis is that just like fairy tales, it talks to our unconscious in the way dreams do. It is not about a direct discourse that would tell you do this or do that. No, they will use displacement, condensation, uh, dramatization, figuration, what Freud understood as the main mechanism within dreams to express a message. My idea is that even if Neketsu probably don't offer the same level of transformation as fairy tales do, I think that they speak to current teenagers and teenagers from generations ago including my generation as a teenager, in the same way fairy tales do talk to children today. When you mentioned Bruno Bettelheim and his book, I realized the way I recall the book is that he comes from a structural paradigm, meaning the id, ego, superego. And it seems to me that you're coming from an object relations paradigm. How can you bring these two together, these two paradigms? 
I don't know if I really come from an object relation paradigm. Mm -hmm. um, it feels probably easier for people to understand if you present it the way I did, if you present it in terms of objects. I think it speaks more to people. But you can clearly see that the hero can be at some point the, the ego in terms of the buffer between the superego and the id. Sometimes the hero presents the ego ideal and sometimes another character will represent the ego ideal. And you can see how the antagonist can represent the id in terms of the incapacity mm -hmm. to compromise, how the antagonist organizes his thinking or her thinking only around wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And you can see how the superego is um, also uh, being uh, represented through probably the parental the figures. parental figures. Maybe actually the parents, the mm -hmm. idealized parents for some time. And But it is too narrow. If you only read it this way, you can't talk to people today. I think that Bedelheim wrote his book at a certain point in history and to a certain audience that would align with this kind of thinking and would actually make the effort to understand what he meant. But today, first, we have a broader access to different theories. Mm -hmm. We integrated them better. And also, I think if you want to talk to a larger public, You can't use those terms. And by the way, Freud did not use those terms. Ego, id, and superego are American terms. It should have been me, super me, and it. Like, mm -hmm. if Freud specifically wanted to use everyday terms for people to understand. This is an expression of how uh, ego psychology decided to reshape or advertise psychoanalysis uh, something for the elite, people who would understand uh, Latin terms. So mm -hmm. I think today we can come back from that. Okay. Even if still you can clearly sometimes understand the character's dynamic and the compromises and how, like for instance, the integration of the superego is going to take place, moving from maybe, that is not Freudian, but from an early superego, a very uh, harsh one, to a more um, integrated one. I mean, it is a story of integration, whatever you integrate, and whatever the words you want to put on whatever you integrate. Yes. And... What I really wanted to come out with is to demonstrate how what seems like brutality, because in Neketsu, people fight, they punch, they kick, people get hurt, people lose their arm, lose their legs. It actually can be extremely violent. But I wanted to allow people to see that this is not all there is to see that it actually talks in a very deep way to teenagers who are struggling with specific problematics associated to where they are in their life. My main thesis is that those naked are going to help teenagers to meet the other as another and to mourn childhood. So... Now, let me be clear. I think teenagers can be defined through an age. But what we will actually talk about is the adolescent process. Yes. Which has to be understood as a psychical dynamic that is supporting the passage from childhood to adulthood. And that this process doesn't really start or end at a specific age. And that it doesn't necessarily end or start in an harmonious way. Some part of us might start entering adulthood while others are still stuck in childhood. I would like people to keep that in mind when I will talk about the Neketsu. Are you saying that the Neketsu stories mirror the inner world of the adolescent? That's my hypothesis, mm -hmm. yes. 
it mirrors or it is a good base for projection specifically for boys. I will go back to it later on, but it is certainly failing in terms of providing interesting female characters. Mm-hmm. You have mentioned that there are codes or elements that go through all of these stories. Can you tell us what stories are you using to present the examples today? Well, to make it more simple, I will talk to you mostly about Dragon Ball. And just to give you a sense of how popular those two productions are, Dragon Ball sold 396 million units compared to Tintin, so a Belgium or French production, which is supposedly famous around the world, that only, in quote, sold 200 million units. So that's just to give you a sense of how much it is extremely popular. One question comes to mind. You are saying that these stories run for 10 to 15 years. So, Easy, yeah. Okay, so the teenager that began to read them... Are not teenagers at the end. Correct. So And that's exactly what's mm, important. Okay. I will explain you it will in more detail later. later. Okay. But just to give you a little sense, my idea is that the reader is growing at the same or similar rate as the, uh, the story unfolds. As the story unfolds. And that's actually what makes it even more powerful. Now in the next session, you will help us understand the codes or elements of the stories. Let's do that. Gregor, please introduce us to the codes or elements in the stories. What I found through my researches that were the codes and recurring elements found in Neketsu are the following. We will go back to them individually, but I will give you the list just to give you a sense of what we are talking about. It's not in order of importance, but the first would be that the hero is an orphan or only has one parent, but is going to recreate or rediscover his family. Okay. Second is that each character, hero, friends or enemies, they all have a specialty or some kind of signature that distinguishes them from other people. Yes. The third code is that during his quest, the hero will turn his first great rival into a friend. Okay. Fourth is that the hero is fighting against an antagonist whose goal is opposite to his. So just to point out, the rival and the antagonist are really two different roles. Correct. Fifth, the hero will often be honest and innocent, and he will always have to better himself to defeat his enemies. Okay. Sixth, the hero's will to go on comes from his friend's support. Yes. Seventh, at the end, all the friends are reunited. Yes. Eighth, there is always a soft eroticism brought up in a humorous form and the last code or recurring element is something we already mentioned is that the story is almost systematically told over many years and the stories have an end and that is a very important point all that said maybe i should just mention that niketsu means boiling blood something of a very deep and strong energy is going to be used to go through all the struggles he has to go through. 
You have mentioned nine different elements, so my guess is that if we're going to go through them, this will take at least two podcasts. So for the next part, we're going to go deeper into the first code. The hero is an orphan or only has one parent, but is going to recreate or rediscover his family. Okay, the first element that is common to these stories is that the hero is an orphan or the son of only one parent. Uh, what do you think of that, Lewar? My sense is that the fact that the hero is an orphan or only has one parent and will recreate or rediscover his family is really about how adolescents are orphans of their parents from childhood. It really portrays the disenchantment that has to happen when someone moves from being a child to being a teenager. Because the reader is obviously not systematically or so systematically orphan or having lost uh, one parent. But being adolescent, they start looking at their parents in a very new and critical way. And in that sense, that's how they lost their parent from childhood. Those parents were basically so strong, who knew so much, who even if they would fight them, they would be right. They would be legitimate. We will go back uh, on the question of legitimacy later. And so this is gone and so this puts this state of mind into image yes the fact that a hero will gather friends is also very teenager-like not that children don't have friends but there's a way to build a community around friends in the neketsu that you don't find with children children don't base their communities around their friends they base their community around their parents teenagers base their community around their friends yes I think what's very interesting also is that heroes will find a parental substitute until they will eventually find their real parents. In some ways, that is the journey a teenager will have to do. They will first identify with new parental figures and they eventually will be able to rediscover who their parents are in, in a completely new way. And I think that's where in, um, partially where adulthood is reached. I think the Nikitsus are going to help teenagers to tolerate losing the parents of childhood through the narration, through showing how the hero himself is going to tolerate and go through those very important losses and be able to give more space to his new parents. Gekwar, it's not clear to me if what you're saying is that there is a mourning process that when the child is going through childhood to adolescence. Is that what you are trying to communicate? Yes. Well, they are actually helping more specifically teenagers to mourn some aspect of childhood. Okay. Do you think there is sadness in the process? Yes, there's lots. Where, where do you see that in the Nakatsu? If there's an example that comes to mind. The character will lose his, mostly his, innocence. Mm -hmm. The character starts from a world that is in some ways simple mm -hmm. and will end up in a world that is much, much more complex mm -hmm. with interactions that are deeper. He will have fought. He will have lost people, things, sometimes parts of himself. We have a character in Naluto, actually the main character, who loses one arm at uh, the end of the story. Uses what? I'm sorry? An arm. An arm. Uh -huh. is, is, uh, I think oh, his right arm uh -huh. in a fight 
like uh, and I think it, it's a poignant expression of mm -hmm. castration and loss mm -hmm. and how you have to lose things to move on and naked Suze are expressing that like how the first the character will for instance meet the parental figure and then the parental figure will, will become more and more important and the character will get to have a better sense of who the real biological parents are and so there will be a loss of the parental figure that will be part of what will lead to access to a, a more complete parent so loss is everywhere okay i'm thinking about the paper morning and melancholia by freud mm -hmm. and how freud describes the withdrawal of the libido and uh, from one object and displaced into another do you think that would be another expression of what you're saying meaning when the relationship with the parents now that energy or libido is displaced onto the peers i don't remember exactly the article right okay. now could, could you explain a little bit more your, well, your thoughts for example freud says that there's a withdrawal of the libido from one object and displaced into a new one so when i hear you talking about connections or the relationship the of the hero to the parent mm -hmm. and then to the peers or the new collective of friends mm -hmm. it sounds a little bit like that displacement of the libido is attached cathected to the peers now yes and i think we will go back to it later on in the, i assume in the, in the second podcast about mm -hmm. the naked suit I think the Neketsus are really strong on that because the story has a beginning and an end and the character is shaped by everything that had happened to him. It's not like standalone stories where the character will meet some characters, something happened and then there's another standalone stories where the character starts blank and meets other mm -hmm. characters and there's another story. No, no, in, in Naked Suze, it's a longitudinal a story. Uh -huh. Like The stories always take the time to show how the, the main character is going to lose things, is mm -hmm. going to have to adapt, is going to have to mourn, yes. I think the, the idea that you're referring from Freud is correct. There is a depressive dynamic at stake, mm -hmm. yes. But depression is not always bad. Depression is about loss. Mm -hmm. And the Nikitsu are here to help a teenager tolerate the loss better because the loss is inevitable, but it doesn't always work. I'm not pretending that this is a magical solution. Some people actually get stuck in, in those worlds and they don't want the mm -hmm. stories to end. They don't want to let go of the character. And But for, I would say, people who are more balanced already, it will really ease the transition because of the magical aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It will help you tolerate all the losses. Okay. The way I remember Freud's paper is that when that libido is uh, displaced into a new object, it seems to be a more normal process, quote-unquote normal, than a different process where the libido is somehow withdrawn into the ego and then the child identifies with the parent but does not move forward. Mm -hmm. And has a potential I, of connecting to new objects. Uh, listening to you, I want to remind our audience that Freud mostly talked about adults. Yes. So even if we can certainly read some of what he said to understand children, it doesn't exactly work like that. Mm -hmm. It's not a pathological depression. No. It can be a, part, a natural, in quote, mourning. Yes. And the role of the Nikitsu will be to smooth the transition. Yeah. So the morning does not become depression, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, okay. but most likely the morning would not become depression. No. Um, but it will make it easier anyway. 
Okay. You are giving us some elements that you have found in Dragon Ball. Do you see any differences between different stories? Each Neketsu will approach this subject in a specific way, and I I would assume that it is in connection to uh, the author or the producer or the team on problematics. We could use the example of Dragon Ball because it's actually pretty transparent. Goku, who is the main character throughout the whole story, is going to be raised by his in-quote grandfather, who is an old man deceased at the beginning of the story, who raised him when he found him abandoned in a forest. The first picture of the Neketsu is Goku, I would say, walking on a round piece of wood and he's talking to animals. So it's it's really, really a child. And he will be able to find um, a girl named Bulma, who is so that you have the first alterity happens here. And then he happens to find some friends and he will also find one very important paternal figure who's called in the US version Master Roshi, who uh, will actually take the place of the parental figure which is, I think, interesting until we actually learn in the story of the real uh, family of Goku. That, I think, it is connected mainly what teenagers will go through. I found interesting that at the beginning of the story, uh, when you're presenting how the story starts, the hero is raised by uh, his grandfather, who is already dead by the beginning of the story, correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, correct. So at that point, I had this association that at some point he would be resurrected. Well, guess what? You're yeah. not the only one who had okay. this association. Uh, <laughs> because actually, pretty shortly after the beginning of the Neketsu, Goku... So Dragon Ball is a very typical Neketsu in the sense that you will have tournaments because conflicts are dealt with through fighting. I mean, it's put into images of fights. And so in, I think, one of the first tournaments in the story, the last person he has to fight is hidden behind a mask. And after he beat this person, then the, remove the mask and you realize that actually it was his grandfather. His grandfather. So he was resurrected. Okay. And, and I think, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it really illustrates magical thinking. Why teenagers can grab on it so quickly and mm-hmm. stay with it. Because as the story expands the same way teenagehood expands. Uh, Gregor, tell us more about the parental substitutes. I find it very interesting that those figures are so important at the beginning of the story. And as I mentioned before, the more you get to hear and to know about the biological family of the hero, the less you will hear about the substitute. And that, I found, is a correlation that can indicate how those two figures are actually related. And I find that clinically it's interesting because it really matches the experience of teenagers, how they first need to identify with one teacher, one uh, singer actor, whatever. And then eventually they come back from it. And then they are able to reinvest their parents in a new way. Not from the child they were, but from the adults they are starting to be. And I find that the Neketsus, through the substitute parental figures, are really illustrating that. Yes. And how, in some ways, I think it also shows that the hero will get to be in touch with the real parents. Like, parents are not necessarily those incredibly strong figures. They are humans with flaws, etc., and qualities, and not so perfect as um, the child wished them to be. 
You have been talking about the stories as mirrors to the transitions from childhood to adolescence. I guess that's one way of looking at the stories. But I wonder, could it be possible to look at these stories as internal objects? Actually, that's second code or recurring element. So let's move to it. So the second code states that each character has a specialty and some kind of signature, whether hero, friends, enemies. And my idea is that, of course, every character is some kind of archetype and they have a function in a group dynamic. Yes. But what I would like to add is that not only do those characters represent external object to the readers, like, oh, I have this friend who's like this, I have this friend who's like that. I can connect this character with this friend and, and this one. But I would add that those characters are actually internal objects too, in a sense that you have the hero who will gather the, I would say, the strongest identification Mm -hmm. uh, will focus the reader will focus more on the hero, but all those other characters who are so distinguishedly unique will also offer to the readers different ways to be that they could identify with. And I'm gonna be like the hero, but I will have a taste of this one, and I will have a taste of this one. And I think every reader. Are you talking about part objects? Yeah. They are some kind of secondary uh, identification support. Teenagers who are using the Nikitsu uh, can use them in a way to, maybe not consciously, but uh, help them to know or to get a better sense of how to resolve both internal and external conflicts. It shows how teenagers change their relationship to authority. When you're a child, as I said before, it's not like you don't question your parents, but they are the legitimate source of authority. Yes. When you become a teenager, the major change is that you don't think anymore that your parents are the legitimate source of authority the way you did before. Yes. What becomes a legitimate source of authority are your peers, your friends, and substitute parental figures. To put it differently, children have a vertical understanding of authority from down to up. Teenagers have an horizontal understanding of authority, and that is very well illustrated in the Nikitsu, I believe. You were mentioning that during adolescence, the peers become the source of authority, and it uh, brings to mind how we begin to have a sense of belonging with those peers in adolescence, which brings us, I think, to the next element, which is about the heroes and the rival that becomes a friend. Can you tell us more about that? Let's do that then. So that's the third code. During his quest, the hero will turn his first great rival into a friend. I think what happens are questions around self-image, internal conflict, and the way the teenager is going to articulate them. For instance, with Dragon Ball, the first rival, real rival, is going to be a character called uh, Vegeta. And Vegeta is a character who has been um, used by his own father as a narcissistic object. And what's interesting is that Vegeta is able to start paying attention to others only after Goku helped him survive, even if Goku defeated him. 
What I understand, it's just one example among others, is that the hero is clearly the idealized part of the teenager. He's honest, he's innocent, oftentimes he's even misunderstood by others, but uh, still ends up creating connections between people. And the rival, who will become the friend, is the non-conform part of the adolescent. The one that tries to exist by separating himself from others, using violence when he's misunderstood by others, even when he can't understand himself. Of course, in parenthesis, I refer to him or he, because um, as we already pointed out, the naked suits are mostly written for a male audience, even if I believe it can be used for girls or a young women to read it too. It clearly, it, it provides more direct support for boys through male characters and it's often from what we would consider a male point of view so anyway uh, going back to the first big rival who becomes a friend i think what's very interesting is that the rival is acting out basically and is a very lonely character and he's just like the hero but consumed by depression instead of consumed with something more maniac like the hero can be and what i find very interesting is that when they become friends what i see is that it, it illustrates how the naked suits are offering a solution to reintegration of what within the teenager is in pain that you have to fight them but you can't kill them you have to respect this pain and the fact that Goku for instance let Vegeta leaves I think is an expression of how or an illustration more than an expression an illustration of how the teenager should feel allowed to not deny this pain within him but at the contrary to give it a different space and to give in to violence and pain As I hear you talking, it comes to mind that one of the things that we want to work in our clinical settings is to help people hold together different realities of life, joy and suffering, for example. And the way you are talking about the anti-hero that has suffered and then becomes a friend, is, it sounds to me as an integration as a, or reducing the splitting, some people may say. We hold together both the joys and the sufferings in life. Yeah, you can exist without being perfect. Yes. I think that's the message. And through actually forgiveness, yes. you can move on. Correct. That's the message that Nikitsus are providing. So let's move to the next code, which is how the hero will fight against an antagonist who has a goal opposite to the hero's. We were just talking about the integration of the rival. And actually, I make a very uh, important distinction between rival and antagonist. Mm. I think the antagonist is the one who doesn't train. The antagonist is already very strong. The antagonist's desire, which is often of vengeance or world domination or universe domination, is so strong that no other desire matters. The antagonist dreams of ruling the world without any nuance. The antagonist dreams about perfect universe that would be some kind of tyranny for others. There is no space for compromise. So you already see through my description how different it is from the hero. 
But what I find very interesting is if you see this antagonist as a representation of the tyrannical child that survives within every one of us. And that becomes very important when you can see how the defeat of the antagonist is most often time achieved through the alliance between the rival and the hero. I think it's so interesting and so well put because it illustrates how when you grow up, you have to give up on the child that you were. You have to give up on the desires that were so specific to the child, to the non-compromised view of the child and how this can be achieved through, as we said, the reintegration of the hurt parts of us. And that is something we can see in Neketsu, I believe, and something that we hear in our clinic all the time. The child, his and or her requirements, the inability to compromise, we hear it all the time, and, mm -hmm. and how the hurt child will need to grow. It brings to mind Freud's statement, when he says, His Majesty the Baby. That's what the Nikitsus, I think, are illustrating. Well, I guess this concludes our first podcast on Nikitsu. Thank you for listening, and we're looking forward to receive your comments and questions. Again, you can find us on SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook. Or directly through the email, discussions on psychoanalysis, at pm.me and if you like what we are doing please give us a uh, five stars we'll see you next month until then bye bye bye